Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to episode 45 of the Stay Grounded podcast. Hope you're all having a fantastic morning, day, evening, whenever you're choosing to tune in. And, oh man, this episode, uh, I'm really excited to share this human being with everybody because he's been under um, under the radar uh, for way too long and I've been trying to get him out and I'm really glad that this is happening. But today's guest is my good friend, uh, Mr. Frank Moserino. So Frank uh, has got a crazy story and it's one that not you don't really hear that often. Um, so Frank has gone through hell and back when it comes to health challenges and reinventing his own identity through health challenges. So to give you some context, um, Frank (laughs) spent through Lyme disease, colon loss, disability, dangerous weight loss to where he weighed less than a hundred pounds at one point in his life, uh, had to reinvent himself almost two to three times. Uh, from being a sales consultant to then being too sick to work to then trying to be an entrepreneur and then being sick again. And then uh, it's just like, I mean, his story is so crazy because it's consistently, every time you feel like he's on solid footing, um, he gets the rug pulled out from under him. And, but what inspires me most about Frank is that it doesn't matter. Uh, He doesn't look at these past experiences as, uh, as a weight on him. He, took this as an opportunity to take absolute complete ownership to relentlessly pursue positive change in the midst of every ounce of chaos in his life. And now he runs an incredible, uh, an incredible movement, if you would, called the Ohm Store. And they make intentionally made physical products to inspire deep present moment awareness. And this is all as a result of what Frank has gone through in his life and the circumstances that have been thrown on him and what he's made from it and how he's sort of turned his body into a temple. And now he helps other people do the same and it's inspiring. And I've known Frank for some time now and uh, I never actually had a chance to sit down and ask him uh, really deep questions about what he's going, what he went through, what that time was like um, and really how he sort of emerged from it and and, and how he took the lessons and learnings and manifested a beautiful reality for himself at this point, uh, which is one of the most inspiring stories uh, I've really had the pleasure of witnessing in my, in my young career. So anyways, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Frank and I go deep down the rabbit hole into all things improvement, happiness, fulfillment, how to create more joy, love, the importance of love in life, and so much more. Uh, and hope you guys check out his store too, the Ohm store. Uh, we have the links available all over um, his, his, his show notes. So please go check that out. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, I can't wait to share this episode with you. But if you haven't already, please uh, 
get involved. Uh, leave us a review, subscribe, tell us what you like and don't like, and just be a part of the Stay Grounded community because this is all about creating lives and legacies that we love and infusing passion into every moment. And I'm just so grateful that I get to share uh, Frank today with you guys. So without further ado, here is Mr. Frank Moserino. Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Stay Grounded Podcast. I'm your host, Raj, and here I am sitting with my good friend, Frank. Frank, how you doing, man? Raj, I am feeling awesome today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Super excited for you to be here. Now, I've known Frank uh, for some time now, but I haven't really had a chance to sit down and get into the mind of what makes this man genius. So you're going to be learning about my new friend the same way uh, at the same time I am. And so uh, there's a treat in there for that. Um, But I already talked a lot about Frank in the intro and what makes Frank an incredible human being in general. So Frank, do you mind if I just start off by diving into the deep end with absolutely no floaties on? I hate floaties, dude. Let's dive in. All right, let's dive in. Well, talk to me about your story. So I want to start back uh, to the to the first illness, because I think and I feel that each and every chapter that you've gone through has had some sort of a reinvention. And so bring me back to where you were um, in the first illness and sort of the mindset and just where you started. And then we'll take it from there. Totally. So, yeah, I think this is is a great place to start to understand a little bit about <clears throat> how I evolved. And I am 33 now. Am I 33? I'm 33 now. <laughs> and the first illness started when I was 21 years old. I was a senior in college in 2006, 2007. And really just like, let me under, let me help everybody understand my identity at the time, right? So I'm 21-year-old guy. I'm in a fraternity. And my identity, the way that I think of myself is as an athlete. So that was probably my biggest like core identity is I thought of myself as some guy who I played football and baseball in high school and then through college I was playing rugby and I got really into CrossFit like very early on in like 2005. So my identity, my identity was one of an athlete um, and then also my identity was like this outgoing social guy mm-hmm. and my second semester of my senior year in college, I ended up uh, getting diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And what that actually looks like is on a day-to-day basis, I started really being unable to like process foods, process beer that I'd always taken for granted. I'd never really considered like what's good for me and what's not because I had been an athlete. So no matter what I ate, my body always looked and felt the way that I wanted it to. Yeah. And all of a sudden it started not feeling the way that I wanted it to feel. So what happens with ulcerative colitis is I had intense stomach pains. I had blood in my stool and it really got to a point where I was unable to Uh, really go out and do a lot of socializing because, I mean, this is the quick and dirty truth. I was just scared of being too far away from a bathroom. 
Um, so I started getting massive stomach pains. There was blood showing up in the toilet and I was a little bit panicked. I was like, okay, that's definitely not supposed to be happening. So this all of a sudden starts to shake me a little bit in my second semester of my senior year of college, where I've got all of these things that I thought I was. And then all of a sudden, um, I'm kind of just in pain and I'm kind of not really able to socialize. And over the course of the next 12 to 18 months, that got progressively worse and worse. So I went to the the way of traditional Western medicine, right? I went to my doctors, I went to my gastroenterologist, the people right. who focus on the gut area. And they said, ah, oh, no problem. Like food doesn't cause this. Your lifestyle doesn't cause it. It's just an autoimmune condition. It's just something that people get. And the way that we get you to not get that is to go on immunosuppressant drugs and high doses of corticosteroids. So that's, it's not like a very fun way to be living because right. on the one side, you've got like pain and inability to be far away from a bathroom. But then what the fix looks like is corticosteroids cause you to be anxious, irritable, unable to sleep. <clears throat> you gain a lot of weight, especially like in your face. So I got a big fat face and I was anxious and I was irritable and I didn't want to be around people. And none of the pain, uh, none of like the urgency around going to the bathroom, none of the blood stopped. So very, in pretty short order, I failed all of the traditional Western therapies. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my doctor said, well, your colon is the problem here. And, we, and if we actually remove your colon, the problem will be fixed. And this was like, yeah, right. So it's like, okay, Um, looking back, that definitely doesn't seem right. Um, At the time, though, I wasn't really confident that diet and lifestyle changes could make a difference. This is 2007. We're very early on in like the paleo movement or anything like that, anything in like the alternative medicine in terms of make your food, make your lifestyle better. It was very early on. So I had read some of that literature. I'd read the original Lauren Cordain book, The Paleo Diet, that he wrote, I think, in like the late 80s or early 90s. And essentially, I just didn't have conviction that changes of diet and lifestyle would make a difference, especially because my doctors were telling me that it didn't make a difference. Right. So they told me, get your colon removed. And I had experienced enough pain. Um, I had experienced my life being turned upside down. I experienced my identities of who I thought I was started to slip away. So I said, hey, if the doctor says that this is going to make me better, then I'm going to do it. You have no reason not to. Right. It's like, hey, I have this like, little suspicion that maybe diet and lifestyle could help. uh, But there was nobody else feeding that back to me. I was just a guy thinking, hey, maybe this is going to work. And then everyone, family, friends, my doctor said, that's definitely not going to work. So I trusted them. And the process of getting your colon removed is kind of a harrowing process. So what it actually involves is first like an eight-hour surgery to fully remove your entire colon. And then at the end of that, for three months, you're left with a temporary ileostomy. And an ileostomy is the bag that you you may have seen or heard about on people. Um, So I wasn't 
going to the bathroom the normal way those three months. There was a bag sitting outside and that's what was happening in that for three months. So I had this big traumatic eight hour surgery. I was in the hospital for a full month to recover from that. Um, I actually went home one day at the end of the month. I was like, okay, this is great. I'm better. I went home six hours later. Uh, I was on the verge of passing out and I had to get rushed back to the emergency room and go back for another week. Um, and then at the end of that, right, three months later, I had the, the ileostomy bag reversed. That way I'm just left with like a, a normal stomach area and everything's on the inside. I'm just missing the colon part of things. My gosh, man. So you've got, so, and this is over an 18 month period. Yeah, roughly. I think I got diagnosed in the spring of 2007. And then in November of 2008, that's when I had uh, the colon removal. So the so colon, re- yeah. So once the colon removal happened, did, were you able to start living your life again? Like, did it work or did you go into more illness? Like, like, cause that alone is enough. Uh, I mean, that sounds like a lot of pain, but it doesn't sound like, like, I can't imagine how removing a colon, um, would be fixing the solution. Uh, it doesn't sound like that from your voice either. I'm, I'm, no, no. Uh, so what happened was for roughly three months, I felt fantastic. I felt like I had felt before any of this happened. And in particular, probably like a month and a half after the first surgery, when I still had the ileostomy bag and I was out of the hospital and the doctor said I could start to resume athletic activities. I could start to resume weightlifting. So I actually had this ileostomy bag and I just got spandex to go over it. And I was back in the gym doing squats, doing power cleans. I was back in my flag football league. I was back in 16 inch softball. This is like while I still had that bag. And then a month and a half later, I had the second part of the surgery to get that reversed. And the first three months out of that were fantastic. I just felt like, oh, I breathed a deep sigh of relief because I felt like myself again. And every single day I was waking up, feeling strong, going to work at the job that I had right out of college. And it wasn't to last. About three months in, I started getting all sorts of what I thought was sciatic pain. So pain that was originating kind of in the lower back on my left side and then radiating down my hip, down the back of my leg and into my knee. And that's kind of what happened. So it was really like a three-month reprieve. And then all of a sudden, other things started happening. Yeah. When did you, I remember us talking earlier, you mentioned that you had Lyme disease as well. Yeah. Um, when, did, when did that period introduce? Was that, near, um, was, that, was that near this period of when you had your colon removed? Or was there a gap in between? And, and how did you approach that versus all of this pain that you had dealt? Yeah. So just the overall chronology, right? So it's like roughly 2007, I start getting symptoms of ulcerative colitis. 2008, 2009, I have the big surgery to remove the colon and thinking I'm going to get back on track. So what happens three months after is I start getting all of these pains and I do the traditional rounds to the traditional doctors. I'm seeing surgeons, I'm seeing chiropractors, I'm seeing anyone who's just taking a look at the imaging um, that they're running in terms of MRI or x-rays, and they're like, hey, you're experiencing some pain, but we don't see anything, you're probably fine. And what really happened for me over the course of a couple years is my baseline 
like where I was on a day-to-day basis, it just kept getting shifted down a couple mm. notches, like every three months it would go down a couple notches. So it started with just like a little pain that I would have in the morning going down my leg. Um, and then throughout the day I would get better. And then maybe six months after that, the pain really wouldn't go away throughout the day, but I was still doing CrossFit. I was still like doing all of the athletic things that I'd been doing. So really from 2008 to 2012, I had this steady lowering of my baseline every couple of months where I started to get a little bit more stiff. I started to experience a little bit more pain and the things that would make the pain go away, like heat uh, or like going for long walks or like exercise, these things that worked in the beginning to start to remove that stopped working little by little until I believe it was 2012. And I woke up one day and every morning I would wake up and I would go get coffee from the place on the corner. And I remember that morning distinctly because I walked down the stairs of my apartment and I couldn't make it to the corner to get my coffee because my joints were in so much pain and they were so locked up that I just couldn't support the weight of my body. So it was really at that point, after like three years of doing the rounds of going to see all of these traditional um, medical doctors, right? Going to the places where I thought the only places, I thought these were the only places to go for help. So I went to all of those places, and none of those places or none of those people could really deliver any results to me in terms of making my day to day life better, making my experience of life better, and making it like more pain-free. Yeah. So I started thinking, okay, I actually need to open myself up to thinking outside of the box. Um, like these people that I had been dealing with, these doctors and these practitioners, they're all very good, like very good people. And they have their best intentions, my best intentions at heart. They just want to make you feel better. Yeah. And what I saw was, okay, if their method isn't working for me, then I needed to be opened up to other methods that could work or but other diagnoses that could work. Was there a trigger point that forced you to start taking ownership? Because that's exactly what you just said. Yeah. You said that at some point it was like, you know what, I'm going to take this into my own hands. What gave you the confidence to move forward and make that decision? Yeah, man. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I personally was conditioned growing up. Maybe we all are, but I can only speak to my personal experience. I was conditioned growing up to believe that for health-related issues, doctors were the end game. If you had a health problem, the doctor was the CEO. They were God. They were all knowing. Yeah. Um, right. Like as my grandparents or as my aunts and uncles had health problems when I was growing up, it was, this is what the doctor said. So this is what I'm going to do. That was my conditioning. And I had done that from 2007, pretty much to 2012. I had been to the doctor. I said, doc, you're the CEO of my health. Tell me what to do. And I'm going to do it. Um, and for five years I did that. And my baseline, like I mentioned, just kept, yeah, you just kept going. getting worse. So it was really when I woke up and I couldn't walk to the corner that I remember thinking, I'm really going to have to open myself up to ways that I'd never even considered. And maybe even open myself up to ways where 30 days 
prior, I would have heard them say something about, hey, you need to change your lifestyle or you need to meditate. Like 30 days earlier, I might have said, that's crazy. How could meditating possibly have anything to do with a pain that I feel in my hip? And when I couldn't walk to the corner that day, I said, hey, what I desire is a result. And I no longer care what the method is for that result. And I no longer care about the credentials that the person has who's giving me the path to take. Like, I no longer cared what their credentials were. I no longer cared if they had the initials DO or MD at the end of their title. Because in my day-to-day experience, what I wanted was results not just somebody who had a certain set of credentials to tell me what to do that I already experienced wasn't working. So really, I had to like ride that train until the wheels fall off. And then the wheels fell off and I kind of had to look myself in the mirror and say, like, you're, you're going to figure this out now, bro. Like, this is going to be up to you to think outside of the box and become the CEO of a team of people. So I no longer was the one being dictated to. I was going to be the one who established, okay, I need a Western doc and I need an Eastern doc and I need an acupuncturist. I need an alternative guy who can tell me about all the latest and greatest um, in new technology or new methods that I could pursue. So I made that shift from being dictated to, to now seeing myself as the CEO of my own health And I needed to establish a team of people, but I also needed to educate myself because I was not, I was going to be the last line. Like I was going to get advice from everyone, right? And filter that through my own like decision-making system. But ultimately it wasn't going to be someone else making the decision for me because they said, this is all that's going to work. It was going to be me interviewing, learning, reviewing all of this information, but then I was going to be the one to make the decision on what might change my day-to-day experience. So that's really how I, how I shifted. The wheels just fell off and I felt like, now I got to do this. So you pretty much made a choice when others would have given up. Um, and what about these concepts of meditation or what about these lifestyle changes actually felt right? Because if some, you're right. If someone would have told me, like, I'm going through all this pain and like, Hey, stop eating that, start eating this. I would tell them to go away. I'd be like, don't bother me because this is crazy. Um, so how did you, like, what was the first thing you started noticing as an improvement from some of these holistic medicines and how did that change the way you experienced new opportunities moving forward? Like, how did you open your mind up? Was there a small win that happened that allowed you to open up and, and start testing more? Or like, what, what did the process look like? I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, so Raj and I both went through a program called The Foundation. I went through it in 2013. And what was the biggest game changer for me personally is this was going to be the fall of 2013 and a mindset coach named Rob Scott gave probably what was an hour or less of a training about how you could rewire your subconscious mind. And I remember, like, I still can like very vividly remember that the way that Rob described the results that you're getting or the way that you're currently living your life is it's run by your subconscious. This is Rob speaking. And your subconscious only understands what keeps you alive. Your subconscious Mm -hmm. wants to keep you alive. So the weird thing is 
even though all of these things were not working for me and my health was drastically in decline, my subconscious was still telling me, like, do these things because you're still here and you're still alive. So in the fall of 2013, Rob Scott gave me a very simple exercise to do called repatterning your identity. And it was very simply a process of kind of just laying out like, this is what I want to experience in life. Like this is who I want to be, or these are results that I want to have. And then it was a process of actually feeling what Mm. those results would feel like inside your body. So I remember like learning this and Rob saying, okay, in order for you to have something like perfect health and perfect body, you don't just need to think about that. You need to experience what it would be like inside your body. Like, what would you say to yourself? So I would imagine myself like calling my mom and crying and saying, mom, I feel amazing today. And I would have people, my 10 year high school reunion was coming up and I would imagine people saying, Frank, you're so vibrant. You look so strong, right? So I would go through this process of not just thinking about it, but feeling what it it would feel like in my body to be perfectly healthy or to have whatever it is that I wanted to have. And it only really took me three days of doing that to see that that process wasn't just a pipe dream and it wasn't just something that could create results if you kept doing it in a year. I would go through that exercise every morning and every evening. And at the end of that simple 10 minute exercise, my body would physically feel different, right? If my pain was a seven out of 10 um, on a scale of one to 10 when I began that, it might be a six out of 10 or a five out of 10 when I completed that. And that little test really like blew open my mind. I was like, okay, there's a lot more going on here than just cells floating around in my body. And my mind has a lot more to do with it than I believe. Wow. That is powerful. That's a powerful concept. It's almost like you're creating, like you're imagining a reality. And just by the pure fact of imagining it, you're beginning to feel it in your body. Um, How long do those last? And did you get better at almost creating that reality consistently? Or were there times where like you would snap back into old Frank? Um, You know, how did, I I can't imagine that changing your identity is easy um, by any means. It's definitely not. So I would notice those little quick wins, right? Like maybe just a little bit of less physical pain. And I would notice those, right? Like almost immediately when I did that. and that would last for maybe 30 minutes to an hour. Um, And then if I just like got back to doing whatever I was doing before, I would start to dip again. And for me, what I ultimately learned, because I had a lot of like start stop, where I would do it for seven days. And that at the end of seven days, I would say, hey, my overall experience of life right now is significantly better than it was seven days before. And this is what I would do. I would say, hey, I'm actually better now. So I don't need to keep doing all of those things on a regular and consistent basis that got me to this. So I would do it for seven days and then I would stop doing it for three days. And at the end of three days of not doing it, I would say, huh, something's changed here and it's for the worse. And then I would say, oh, I stopped doing that thing, right? And then maybe the next time I'd go 10 days, same deal. I'd say, now I'm better and don't need to do that anymore. So it was really this process of figuring out that 
I was never going to arrive somewhere and then be there, right? Like I felt, or I really learned from experience, it wasn't about me doing a bunch of stuff to ultimately arrive at a place. And then once I've arrived at that place of, in this case, perfect health, then I was just totally done and I didn't need to do any of that anymore. And I could just get back to living the way that I was living before. What I realized is that our bodies, our cells, our mindset, and our emotions are constantly in flux. Like not on a week to week basis, on a moment to moment basis. So what it taught me was like being the best version of myself in all areas, right? Like health and wellness related, or when I was starting my business at the time, whatever that looked like, I realized that it wasn't about me like doing a bunch of things in a sprint and then stopping because I'd arrived. It was about crafting a process and crafting a pattern that was constantly going to be refreshing my mindset and my body, and my emotions, and my spiritual connection. So I learned like, it's not about like becoming something and then you've arrived. You're always becoming something. So you need to keep the practices and the patterns in place to continue to evolve in the direction that you want. I've always called that uh, brainwashing your subconscious. That, uh, that's it, man. You are, you are literally introducing either words habits, thought processes, mindsets, and you're continuously feeding yourself it until you actually begin to believe it. And it is powerful to hear because I think a lot of people, I mean, let's go back to habits, right? I mean, you said it, you started with seven days and then you fall off next to us 10 days. How long do you think it takes to, to stick in your case, especially when it's related to pain? Right. When it's related to pain, did you, did you, were you able to stick those, those habits faster or did you still feel yourself falling back into old habits? Like, like, cause you know, like for for me, like if I'm, if, if I'm pushed against the fire, I will get something done. Like if I'm, if my back's against the wall, it's going to get done. It doesn't matter. But once you start to feel it quickly and you fall back, you know, like how long does it actually take for you to internalize this? Did it take you a long time or, or was it quick because the pain had something to do with it? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the weird thing is, so the short answer is it took way longer than I wanted it for this pattern to stick because like what, maybe it would just go to a bigger scale right? Where maybe I would be on for like three months. And then at the end of three months, I would like, I definitely have arrived now, right? It's been three months. I've done this every day for three months. Now I have arrived for sure. And I've cemented my progress. So then I would drop off because I had a delusion that the amount of time that I'd been doing it was somehow the fix that I was after. Mm. So the amount of time kept getting longer. And I would say that this whole process did not actually stick until February of 2017. Um, February of 2017 hit and I kind of crafted my overall wellness routine that is pretty much the same today as it was in February of 2017. And it just took me that long to get to like, because you can understand things academically, right? Like, 
I understand a lot of things academically, um, and I could tell you about them. That doesn't mean that I've internalized that. That doesn't mean that I get it on a cellular level. So I just had this process of doing it and then not doing it and doing it and not doing it. Um, and really, it was when my back was against the wall, which it was in the worst possible way in February of 2017. I made the commitment of, I am going to do this every day, no matter what. That's what I told myself. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up, breathing exercises, meditate, take a hot bath because it's rejuvenating from my body, read in the hot bath, and then go outside. That was going to be my anchor. And when I first started doing that, I couldn't do some of the parts of it, right? Like, For example, going outside, I could only walk on crutches. So I would literally just like limp down the stairs and then I would just go stand in the front yard um, and I would look at the sun barefoot and I would set a timer for 10 minutes and that's all I would do. Now, that has evolved now to me taking hour-long walks on the beach in the morning. Um, But the overall point, and to answer your question directly, is it took a significant amount of committing and then relaxing my commitment and a cycle or multiple cycles over a period of years until I really got it, not from an academic perspective, but from an experiential perspective of this isn't a one and done type situation with your mind or your body or your emotions or your spiritual connection. This is a pattern and you're only as good as the patterns that you've been running yesterday and today. The patterns that you were running three months ago have absolutely nothing to do with what your experience of today is like. So get a good pattern and commit to it forever. Why did your body not want you to change? Oh, man. Um, So what I kind of have figured out experientially over all of these things that happened to my body, and these things that happened to my body, um, they weren't just happening to my body. And what I mean by that is when I was experiencing deep physical pain, it wasn't limited to my physical experience of the world, right? Because I had just started a business or depending on what time we're looking at here, what I saw was when I had deep physical pain in my body, like my business and my finances were also doing terribly. And the way that I was treating my friends and family was also totally out of whack. And I felt a deep, deep depression, like this deep sense of ennui. Like I would wake up in the morning and I would not feel any feelings. Like it wouldn't feel good. It wouldn't feel bad. It would just feel like an empty, totally unsatisfactory experience of life that I couldn't change with any substance, with any painkiller, with any food, with any lack of food. Um, and what, I, what I'm getting at with all of this stuff is Like my problems in my body, what I saw were not just problems in my body. My problems in my body were, do I have emotional things going on? Meaning, are there people in my life that I have stuff that I want to say to them that I've left unsaid, right? Do I have open loops? Is there something that I've personally been wanting to create or wanting to pursue that I haven't done, right? So do I have open loops? 
Do I have things that I've wanted to do but haven't done? Um, am I being connected to like a gratitude practice? Like even at the times when I felt like I had fucking nothing and I had nothing to be grateful for, um, was I grateful for something? So in this process, what I learned is that my overall health and wellness wasn't just about the food I could eat or the medicine that I could put into my body or like the amount of sun that I could get into my body. I realized that my overall wellness and my overall human optimization was a combination of emotional and spiritual and physical pillars. And if I neglected one of those, it would create some sort of a dis-ease state in some part of my body. So the weird thing is by learning about my hip pain and learning about my knee pain and learning about my shoulder pain, I not only identified biological ways to do things like optimize um, what I was eating or reduce inflammation, I also learned that emotional blocks are also contributors to us not feeling or performing the way that we want. So I had to really focus on what are my emotions? What is my connection to my spirituality or like the universal source or all gratitude or whatever that your God concept is? I need to be connected to God concept. I needed to be connected to how I was processing my emotions and communicating with other people as well as the physical part of my body. So essentially how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yes. Um, so give me a tangible example of how or, or, or something that like experientially, how you saw focusing on, let's say your relationships led to clarity in another part of your life or focusing on doing the right thing in this part of life led to clarity in another. Like I'd, I'd, I'd love to at least learn how the different pieces are connected because I, th I, I believe you and I think it's true. I've seen it in my own life. Um, showing up in one way uh, consistently across multiple pillars allows those pillars to connect. So how is, how have things connected for you? Yeah, man, here's the weird thing. Okay. When I first got diagnosed with this stuff, remember my identity at the time, like uh, 21 year old Frank was an athlete and an outgoing guy. And then all of a sudden I got sick and I no longer wanted people to see me in a sick state. So here's this guy who is an athlete, definitely not an athlete, can't even pick up a pen if it falls on the ground. Here's a guy who's outgoing, is not going to be outgoing when you're just sitting at a couch at home on your parents' house because you're not going to go out because you have so much pain in your body. So I moved through that process initially thinking, I need to fix my body. And as a part of fixing my body, I'm going to be a lone wolf. I'm not going to be around friends. I'm not going to be around family. I'm definitely not an athlete. So I'm just going to focus on my physical body and I'm going to shut everybody else out so that I don't have to deal with them because all I need to focus on is me, 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 me. I was obsessed with myself. And I thought at the time that something hurting in my body had absolutely no connection with spending time with other people. And what I will tell you is a beautiful thing that I learned really deeply in, I would say, 2016, 2017. And I saw the power of authentic human connection, meaning I saw the power of being around people that love you and letting them support you 
and even beyond letting them support you, just letting them be around you and being in the same room with each other. Even if you don't want to talk because you're in so much pain that you can't talk, but just being together. What I started to experience was that when I started to have cracks in my armor and I started to allow friends to come visit me, right? After years of me saying, don't come see me, I don't want to see you. And then saying, okay, come see me for an hour. I would have these experiences where I didn't put anything else into my body. I didn't take a painkiller. I didn't take Kratom. I didn't take whatever the latest anti-inflammation thing is. I was just me before experiencing quite a bit of physical pain. And then my friend comes over. We spend an hour together just laughing, being silly, sitting really close to each other. So we're maybe like holding hands or touching each other. So we've got like a little bit of like that authentic love and touch. At the end of that experience, the pain in my body would be diminished by half, let's say. So here's like in my mind, right? The way that you remove pain to that point is like a doctor gives you a painkiller or you take Tylenol or you take like that. That was my relationship with physical pain up until that point was you needed to take some substance or rub some stuff on you. And that's what made the pain go away. So all of a sudden when my pain was being drastically reduced by being around people that I loved, I thought, okay, this isn't just some woo woo nonsense. Like this is real. And the way that I know that it's real is because I experienced it myself. Man, I just want to say one thing on that note. Um, and I've learned this the hard way. When, when you, for anybody listening, when you guys try and keep in pain, thinking that you don't want to burden other people, you are actually, um, you are halting them from experiencing pure bliss by being able to help you. Your friends want to help. Your family members want to help. And I learned that through uh, like a, my own journeys, but yeah, I mean, man, that is such a beautiful, and I love that it actually ended up creating an incredible sense of physical relief um, because they felt good being able to help you. You've been pushing them away for so long. Um, what do you think about love that, 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 that allows the body to heal and that allows the spirit to to soar or the soul to, to, to blaze. What do you think? Why is, why, why do you think love has such a powerful impact on people? Yeah, dude. So the, here's a cool thing that I learned from Marcus Aurelius, right? He was writing 2000 years ago. So he's like the OG in the personal development world. (laughs) Um, Like the original Tony Robbins, let's say. So Marcus Aurelius has this idea that, We've got it backwards. Our lives as human beings are not about comfort and pleasure. Our lives as human beings, what gives them purpose and meaning is being of service to other people. So to answer your question around like, why does love matter? Love matters because you are taking yourself as a vessel and raising the vibration of the people around you, right? So for me, like my personal experience was I got absolutely obsessed with myself um, during this time. I thought, who can help me? Everything is about me. Who can bring me things? Who can give me things? Who can make me feel differently or better? And 
what I started to have this fundamental shift, like after reading a little bit of Marcus Aurelius was that if I wake up every day in a tremendous amount of physical pain, that absolutely has no impact on my ability to give love or to be, be of service to other people. Right. So we have this big thing that we do as human beings where we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. So, like, I was in a position where if a friend was moving, let's say, I couldn't go be of service and show them love by helping them move. So, in my old mind and in my old conditioning, I would throw the baby out with the bathwater where I would say, well, I can't go physically help that person or do something that I think in that frame of mind is going to be helpful or, or loving or of contributing to them. So I will just do nothing and continue to focus on myself. What really shifted for me was love can start from any place. So even if I was unable to get out of bed in the morning, I could still pick up my phone and text my aunt and say, hey, Auntie Susan, I, I really love you. And you're like a really important person for me. Um, so what I realized is that I could start focusing on being of service and on giving love no matter what my physical or financial condition was. So this change from being obsessively just like concerned with myself and me and what I could get and in a very fragile state saying it doesn't matter what state your body or your mind is in, the ultimate thing that I want as a human being is to be of service and to give love and to, and to create for other people. So what if I just started small with what I could actually accomplish from sitting in a bed and build from there? So just to answer your question directly in a little bit more of a succinct way, why love is transformative is because you focus on your true nature as a human being, which is to give and be of service rather than to be obsessed with your own personal comfort and pleasure. I love that. Now, let's apply that to another concept. Um, something where seemingly seems like you're constantly taking, right? Like let's say business, like if you're making money with a business, right? Um, how does this concept apply in your mind to like of giving love, of giving service um, in, in a situation where a lot of times people feel like you're taking, like how does the, how does, how does, how does that work? And I'd love to see how that kind of feeds into your own business and, and, and the Ohm store and, and kind of how everything ties together. Yeah, dude. So this is, it's perfect timing because I had a, a really important insight this morning when I was walking on the beach and, and that's about what my actual product is at the Ohm store. So at the Ohm store, we sell beautifully handmade and hand-hammered singing bowls, and we work with individual artisans in Kathmandu, Nepal. So that in itself is a pretty neat and special physical product. I found that I had been getting confused because I was actually believing that that was my product, and that when somebody bought a product, what they were buying from me was this piece of metal that came from Kathmandu, Nepal. And what I very recently have come around to understanding is people don't buy a singing bowl or another handmade beautiful product from Nepal from me just because they want that thing. My ultimate product is love. 
my product, what I sell at the Ohm store is positivity. It is open-mindedness. It is treating my customers like gold and even losing money if I have to perform some sort of a customer service thing, that's going to go above and beyond, right? So my product is love. My product is authentic human connection. My product is answering every single Amazon review, answering every single email, answering every single Facebook ad in a lighthearted way that shows I'm open-minded and I'm just here to give love. So what I've boiled it down to is like people are getting this singing bowl, but the singing bowl is not a product. The singing bowl is a physical 3D representation of the true product that I'm bringing to people, which is love, authentic connection, um, just like open-minded positivity. So it's just a thing that represents what my real product is. And the way that I look at it from a business perspective is the more love and the more authenticity and the more focus I put on surprising and delighting customers, they're going to see that, right? So a customer sees I'm giving love, I'm creating content, I'm going above and beyond because I just care about people. So caring about people and loving people is my product. And when people buy a product, what they're really doing is virtue signaling right? They want to get your product because of, they believe that being associated with your product means something about them. So when, uh, when somebody comes into one of my customer's houses and says that thing that's sitting on your altar over there on your shelf, that's really beautiful. My customer bought that for that exact reason, because they want to show the world what they're all about. And we show the world what we're all about in a very simple way through the items that we've got. So what I decided was, yeah, I sell these amazing singing bowls and like these amazing handmade journals soon to come. Um, But really, customers want to associate themselves with me because they believe that owning one of the products that I've helped bring to the world says something about them. So who can I be as a company that will make people want to be around me, that will make people want to buy things from me? And it's all about what they believe it's going to say about them. And it's got nothing to do with like my specific product. And the more love and authenticity I can put out, the more financial abundance I can come back. And the more financial abundance come back to me, the more I can amplify love going out into the world because now I can hire more people who can then put more love out into the world. And then it just becomes a circle. Yep. No, I'm uh, all in on the, that concept of uh, impact, impacting customers. We we do something similar at Java press, but it's, yeah, uh, you you nailed it on the head, man. The law of reciprocation. Yeah. Um, You know, what you give, you get. Um, Actually, I heard a really, interesting quote uh over the weekend it was life gives to the givers and takes from the takers and it it it, it's beautiful because i mean your story is phenomenal to me personally because even when you felt like you were getting everything taken away from you multiple times physically you still somehow got back to this idea that i need to just give back to the people in my life and i think that that is something that I think a lot of people take for granted our own capacity to give, right? I mean, we're all human beings. We all have this, this heart, this beating chest 
we have two legs, not everybody, thank God, but like, you know, like we're, we're blessed with something in our lives. And uh, I think that even a practice of gratitude allows that to unlock and come out. But I think we all have this amazing ability to just give and impact the people around us. And I think that leads to such a beautifully amazing purpose-driven experience of life that sticks with you, whether you're going through the greatest of times or the worst. And yes, it, 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 it inspires me. I mean, when I meet guys like you, I just, I just get inspired just cause, uh, so thank you for inspiring me, Frank, my man, I want to, first of all, anybody who, uh, wants to, to shop from you, uh, it's the ohmstore.co and uh, we'll have all these links available on uh in the show notes for frank but yeah, we've got love available there in the, form, <laughs> in the form of a singing bowl in the form of a singing <laughs> bowl um and uh yes yeah, so definitely go check frank out but frank i wanted to sort of flow the conversation into a more holistic idea because i think it kind of wraps up a lot of things that we were just discussing but um in your day-to-day from somebody who has had to re invent themselves for lack of a better word uh, over several years who's had to redefine what's important to them uh, across the last several years. How do you stay grounded in life, in business, in love, and just throughout your overall human experience? Yeah, man. So I'll give you two things. First is like an overall mantra that I've got uh, that reminds me and helps me to stay grounded. And then the second thing I'll share with you is like some physical practices that I use. So the first thing, and this mantra that I've got that really helps me stay grounded is it's just like something that I say to myself and I've got it written in a bunch of places. Um, but don't experience the world as you believe it should be. Experience the world as it actually is. Okay, so let me break that down a little bit and why that helps me stay grounded. So don't experience the world as you believe it should be. Experience the world as it actually is. So what I mean by that is as human beings, we have a tendency to experience the world. Let's just take the weather, for example, right? We wake up in the morning and we look outside. And before we look outside, we get in our head this ideal picture of what the weather should look like that would make us happy, right? So we get this picture in our head and then we open our blinds and we, we're really excited. Like, does this match what I believe the world should look like today? And it's like, oh no, it's rainy. So all of a sudden, right? We've decided that because it doesn't match this ideal that we made up, that it is somehow not as good as, and we feel a little bit of dissatisfaction on like a rainy day or a cloudy day. Oh, love sunny days, hate rainy days. So the idea that I'm getting at here is all of what you experience is actually beautiful if you can look beyond the tendency to need to have it be a certain way. Mm. Okay. So whatever that is, like when I feel a pain in my leg, I don't say, Hey, uh, should it be this way? I just appreciate this is exactly the way my leg feels right now. How about it? Let me like really (laughs) focus on that and experience what it's like to feel my leg in this way. And every day when I wake up and I look at the numbers in my business, I'm like, okay, this is the exact reality. And I don't need to come in wishing that it were bigger or wishing that it was something differently. I can just appreciate it 
for exactly what it is. It doesn't have to be anything other than what it exactly is. How did you so cultivate what, that? How did you cultivate that practice? Because if I, I mean, I guarantee you, if I stub my toe, I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that my toe is in this much pain. Like that's just not a mindset that's going to come naturally to me. Yeah. So how did you cultivate this? And, and, and how can somebody like me who wouldn't automatically think that way, like become one that can actually experience pain through that beautiful lens? I mean, it was definitely experiential for me. Um, but to give you a specific answer here, I did a Vipassana meditation retreat last year. Okay. And this is a 10-day meditation retreat where you take on what's called noble silence, meaning you don't talk, you don't interact with people in any way, uh, you don't write, you don't read. All you do is meditate all day for 10 days. Um, there's nowhere to run and there's nowhere to hide right? It's like you can't do anything that you usually do to numb the uncomfortable feeling. There's no phone to run to. There's no vigorous exercise to go run to. There's no sex to run to. Um, so what I learned in that, because I went into it and I had every reason not to go. I was on crutches. So I thought, well, I shouldn't be like going and doing this because I'm still in physical pain. And of course, I'm running my business. So I thought, well, I shouldn't, definitely shouldn't do this because I need to do business and I can't be off for 10 days. And like, really, do I really want to be away from like friends and family for 10 days and not even be able to text them and say, hey, what's up? I'm great. So what I learned in that shortened time frame is your mind, our minds are just constantly wondering what's going on. Right. So I would be in a meditation and then I would be like obsessed with the fact that my business was most certainly failing in that very moment. Um, and there was nothing I could do about it. Or I would be obsessed with the fact that something was going on with my family. Or the weird thing is, right, I looked forward to coming to this meditation retreat. And after two hours of meditating, I desperately wanted to not be at the meditation retreat. Right. And when I was working in a really great high paying job right out of college, I was desperately wishing for the days when I would be an entrepreneur. Mm. And when I was like really, really strong and young, I always wanted to be stronger and younger. And then when I was really, really weak and in physical pain, I found that I always wanted it to be different. I wanted to be strong. So, what I'm saying is that. Our human minds are constantly running this script in our head that something else is better than what is happening right now. So the thing is, you will never remove the tendency of your mind to do that, right? Your mind is just going to do that. Like you're going to walk outside and your mind is going to say, that sign's stupid. Why is that guy wearing that shirt? I'm way better than this other person that I just, I watched that show last night. That guy was dumb on that show. So our minds are just running these constant scripts of evaluating who's right, who's wrong, who's dumb, who's smart, who's morally superior, who's on the moral low ground. So we're always doing that. So in my experience, it's not about getting that to stop because your mind is always going to do that. It's yeah. about being able to take a step back and find the hilarity in the fact that you've got some guy in your head who thinks that everything is wrong, right? The guy, <laughs> the guy in your head is like a clickbait headline that you see on Facebook, 
right? It's like he will never shut up. So the cool thing to remember is you're not that guy. That guy who's saying crazy things, who's evaluating and judging everything, that's not you. And what he says doesn't have to mean a damn thing to you. You can just hear it and say, who's smarter, me or this guy? And then you can just laugh and say, how, who, why does somebody need to be smarter? What, what does it even matter? Like I was just going for a walk. Why am I drawn into this? So it's not about stopping that tendency as a human being. It's about recognizing that you have that tendency and about feeling like, hey, that guy's saying some crazy stuff, but that guy's saying crazy stuff has absolutely nothing to do with me. I can just choose to push it aside and do what I was doing and maybe even laugh a little bit at how silly the shit he's saying is. <laughs> um, <I love> that. <laughs> so, so that's like the big, I would say, stay grounded, my mantra. Okay. Um, and like the physical part of staying grounded is what I'm really waking up to and what I have woken up to over the last 12 to 24 months is we live in 2018, man. Like I'm looking outside uh, at downtown Chicago and I see the Sears Tower, I see the skyline, I see people, I hear people. Um, so we think of ourselves like as beyond an animal, right? If you look at a cow and then a human being, as a human being, you think, well, that cow is dumb. That cow doesn't even know how to use an iPhone. That cow like definitely can't drive a Tesla in ludicrous mode. So I am <laughs> like, yeah, I'm definitely not that cow and I'm definitely not that giraffe and I'm definitely not that plant. The thing that I've woken up to recently is that we evolved as animals alongside all of these other animals that are still a part of our ecosystem. Yep. And part of us being human animals was living in tribal societies where we are deeply connected and all up in each other's business, which is like, people think of that as a bad thing right now, being all up in each other's business. And what I've learned, it's like, if you want to be like right in the world, you got to be all up in your, in other people's business and they got to be all up in your business. Cause that's like beautiful, right? That's that thing where authentic human connection can actually lower physical pain on the pain spectrum. So remembering that I'm a human animal. So what foods do the human animal eat to be its best self? And what does the human animal require? Well, it requires sunlight and it requires water and it requires being around other human animals. So the real simple thing that I do to stay grounded physically is remember that me and the cow evolved in the exact same ecosystem right over the last hundreds of thousands or millions of years. And it was only in the last 2000 years that I started to believe that I was like separate and distinct from this cow. So I woke up to, well, we definitely are an amazing species because we've got these amazing brains that can turn thoughts into things like the Chicago skyline. And also we're human animals and our bare feet are meant to go on the ground. And we're meant to look into each other's eyes and share a smile and tell the truth. And we're meant to be outside basking in the sun, which is much with as much of our body uncovered as possible, right? So on the one side, you've got like this really cool mantra that helps me realize like, don't experience the world as you believe it should be, experience it as it actually is. And then on the other side, embracing that I'm a human animal and all of these little things that human animals have been doing for the last 100,000 years, probably 
still need to be happening, even though I'm sitting in a building and I have an iPhone and I can see the Sears Tower. Yep. That is uh, brilliant insight. Actually, I'm reading a, a book right now called uh, Sapiens. And uh, in the book, they talk about the reasons that Homo sapiens actually ended up surviving and beating in all the other types of sapiens. And it was because of our ability to gossip or our ability to connect with human beings, our ability to share ideas, our ability to believe stories and, and, and religions and culture. And, and because we, and we invented culture, um, human beings did. And because of our understanding of culture, uh, which goes way back to exactly what you're saying, it's connecting to the fact that we are a species and we are a part of this beautiful planet. So brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff, Frank. Man, I'm so grateful that you uh, took the time today to, to share your, your story, your insights, and really kind of go down the rabbit hole with me, man. I appreciate it. Um, you got it, dude. This and, is amazing. Uh, but uh, everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Frank. And until next time, stay grounded. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.